You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social and environmental challenges and follow our website at friendsofeurope.org. My name is Giles Merritt. I'm the chairman of Friends of Europe and in about a quarter of an hour's time I will be in conversation with Johannes Hahn, Commissioner for Enlargement and Neighborhood Policy. But before that, it, it says in the Bible, man shall not live by bread alone. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's something similar in the Quran. And we thought it would be fitting and very appropriate to have a cultural break in the middle of the proceedings. And it gives me great pleasure to, to uh, invite Damir Imamovic um, to give us a taste of Sevda music, um, which he confirms is not entirely dissimilar to Portuguese Fado. And that although the, the Western Balkans and the Iberian Peninsula are, you couldn't really get further away from each other. They both have been heavily influenced, the Iberian Peninsula, by the, uh, uh, by, by the Islamic circle where it reached up into the Iberian Peninsula and in the Western Balkans by Turkey. And I thought the interesting thing that Damir just told me was that Sevda crosses almost all religious and cultural barriers in the Western Balkans and is therefore common to all. And that struck me as the perfect note on which to start our afternoon's um, proceedings. The floor is yours. a big assignment I have. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. Uh, it's a really, it's always whenever I play um, to the mixed audiences, people who speak different languages, it's always a good thing to ask your fellow uh, Bosnians sitting next to you, or Serb or Croat or Montenegrin who speaks our language to translate the, the poetry of the song so you can get to know the culture. This was a sexy song. I reckon, you know, it's a European business. Sex is always involved. So the next one is a beautiful combination of cultures. People love that. It's an old song that has many roots, like a toot, you know, that has many roots. One is Sarajevo uh, Charshi, Muslim Charshi. Uh, another one is, is Jewish, third one is, is, is Turkish, and who knows what. Sobo, ya povedo, 
Thank you very much. That was another sexy song. Uh, he, he basically, he didn't come in the right moment. He was late. He came, he came the ne next day. And she, she was married for somebody else. To somebody else. The next song is one of the most beautiful metaphors in this Sevdas tradition. Uh, it's really hard to translate, so I'll just describe. Um, it's again about the boy and a girl. And it's about the proverbial mother who is always around there doing something. This time she, she, she doesn't allow him, or she doesn't like him, because she, she somehow um, tells him not to go to search for the lady. And he does that in the most beautiful way. Muyokuye konya pamiasets. 
Thank you very much. Uh, there are many parts of this tradition. Some of them are uh, connected to big orchestras, to accordions, to many things you perhaps heard if you were traveling the Balkans. Some of them are connected to these old uh, instrumental tradition of Saz. Uh, this instrument is actually maybe one of the metaphors of where Bosnia was today. I wasn't actually realized, I, I, I didn't actually realize that until it was finished. It was made for me by two beautiful Bosnian luthiers. One is making guitars, another one is making Saz. Uh, Saz is an oriental instrument which has this pier shape and it's really particular in sound. So I wanted to steal a bit of that and I wanted to have a guitar technique and after it was finished a friend of mine told me like man that's uh, exactly where where bosnia is today you know between these worlds <laughs> so it's really funny and i called it tambur which is also an old name also wrote a song for or, or with the lyrics from the 18th century which in, involves this tambur name anyway have not i don't have much time for for talking the next song is one of the most beautiful Sevdah songs that were made by a famous Belgrade singer, Prada Gojković Tsune, in 1962 into a, a Sevdah standard. How 
Thank you very much. I think that's all the time I had. is going to be a, a hard act to follow, but um, not insuperable because we're so fortunate to have Commissioner Hahn with us. Janis Hahn, if I may say this, Janis, made a considerable impact in his first portfolio at the Commission when he handled regional policy. Not one of the easiest uh, jobs in the Commission. And I think he's already making um, an impressive uh, impact on the, uh, the, the enlargement area. I'm not going to waste time by introducing a man who I think everybody here either knows personally or knows of. We haven't got much time. We've got just over half an hour before the third session starts. Commissioner Hahn has got about 10 minutes to make his opening remarks. I have a few questions of my own. And uh, let me start with them, Commissioner. Is the Balkan enlargement process becoming stuck in transition, the term that the EBRD has used, are we in danger of seeing uh, a sort of never-ending um, uh, process that is going to uh, finally just wear itself out? In other words, are the Western Balkans in limbo? Well, <clears throat> first of all, um, thank you for inviting me, Shil and uh, Friends of Europe and uh, Konrad Adenauer Foundation. Second, I, I would like to um, explain. I could uh, really, for good reasons, applaud to the singer because I was following him from, from outside, but I didn't want to disturb. So it was a great performance. Uh, also, thanks on my side. Um, to your question, Shil, um, I think the, the, we are not stuck, uh, but uh, it's important to understand that after all our experiences of, uh, concerning enlargement and the situation in, in Europe um, amongst member states, in member states, and the situation of our candidate countries, we have to understand that uh, when we are today talking about enlargement, then we are talking, or I prefer not to talk about enlargement negotiations, but about a process. Um, that means um, it's not only about, um, so to say, taking over their key, but also, so to say, implement it, implement the spirit of their key. And this is definitely something um, which takes time. Um, I mean, if I'm looking, I see friends from Albania, Welcome, and um, I mean, in Albania, they have just adopted a couple of months ago, unanimously in the parliament, 
a very comprehensive uh, judiciary reform. And um, I really want to congratulate um, the um, representatives from the opposition party for, so to say, having taken this step and this decision because it's, um, so far, it was rather unusual, may I say so, and not only in Albania, but in many other parliaments in the region, that the opposition is uh, voting with the government. But if you look into the statistics of, uh, may I say, parliaments, national parliaments, European parliament, there is, um, I would say, 80-90% of the decisions are taken by a huge majority, including one or the other opposition party. Sometimes it's even adopted unanimously. So it's not something unusual if um, an opposition party is in a certain, um, on a certain topic, on a certain solution, agreeing with the government, favoring, so to say, the overall development of a country. And this is also something which has to be changed in the region. If I may say so, uh, very humble, um, there is still this, um, so to say, general behavior to think either in black or in white. Yeah? So to say, the compromise, the, 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 the ability to strike a compromise is not really, um, um, so to say, deeply rooted as a concept. But in, in a democracy, you need um, compromises. And a good compromise is, is uh, a win-win situation for both or for all involved parties. So this is what I mean when talking about, um, so to say, it's about the process. Um, take uh, the fight against corruption. In all our countries, we have already uh, state of the art, if you allow, uh, or if you, um, uh, legislation concerning the fight against corruption in force. But the question is how it is applied, how it is um, implemented. And here we are looking for a credible, sustainable track record which gives us as much as possible uh, reassurance that uh, we are, or the country, uh, is on a good track. And this is simply something which takes time, number one. Number two, um, we cannot, um, uh, so say, cut out uh, the economic situation in Europe and in the region. So my aim is to push the economic development of these countries, um, giving people there a perspective to stay and not to, to feel or to, to be forced um, um, to move away, um, having uh, job opportunities, having um, simply a perspective for themselves but also for their families. And this is something uh, which takes its time. In many of these countries, um, uh, so say, diversification of the economy is not very uh, widespread. Here we have to address, I think in general, <coughs> the labor uh, force is quite skilled, but <coughs> there is a risk that uh, the best ones are migrating. And we are still, and I can say this as a former Austrian Minister for Science and Research, uh, already ten, time, 10 years ago, the issue and probably even uh, uh, many years uh, before, 
the issue of brain drain was there and is still there, but it is something we have to address. So I think the economic development is extremely important to stabilize the region, to stabilize the country, the countries, and pushing the economic development also has an impact on the so-called fundamentals, um, which means uh, rule of law, because you will never attract foreign investors. You will never persuade or convince <coughs> people um, um, in the countries to risk their money if they cannot uh, rely on the independence of the judiciary and things like that. So I think there is an interdependency between uh, development of the economy and development of rule of law. I fully agree, and probably this is shared by probably most of you, or all of you, <clears throat> um, a lot of uh, progress is still ne necessary. We, we all tend to be impatient for good reasons, but uh, if I take everything together, if I'm looking into the performance of all the six countries in the region, I would say there is progress everywhere. But you have to look um, over a, a longer time span, of course, to, to see one or the other progress. We will not be there tomorrow and the day after tomorrow, but it's important to make the necessary step forward, progress, also to give confidence in the whole process. And uh, finally, we have also to um, convince our citizens, European Union citizens, how important this future accession of our friends and colleagues in the Western Balkan is. It's a, a kind of competition, what they call uh, the, uh, the Annus Mirabilis 1989. I mean, it was the fall of the Iron Curtain, unification of Europe, um, first important step, big um, accession um, around in uh, 2004, and then uh, Romania, Bulgaria, and Croatia later on. But this has, from my point of view, to be completed. But in order <clears throat> to achieve this goal, we have to work together. Today, we have to understand that um, in many parts of Europe, I would call it, uh, uh, so say, the support for these activities is not uh, a big one. Uh, probably most of the countries today, there is a majority of people against uh, further enlargement. But I think here we have a task to communicate what is the impact, what are the, the consequences if we would fail on this. And I think uh, the inclusion of these six countries to the European Union is a must. We, I cannot predict the date, but uh, my aim is clearly to use the remaining uh, time of my mandate um, to push the countries forward, um, to, to lay a ground, a basis which is irreversible in terms of uh, the Euro European aspiration of these countries. Um, and uh, it's also for the stability and security of the other parts of Europe if we have stability, security, prosperity in the region. And this can definitely only be achieved with the European perspective. A first, so to say, step in between is this uh, regional cooperation, which we call Berlin process, where through very concrete measures uh, in the area of transport, connectivity, energy, 
but also people to people, pushing for a bulk and single market, uh, things can go into the right direction. And only yesterday we had a meeting with the transport ministers of the region here in Brussels um, to prepare the next summit uh, uh, in Italy summer next year. I expect that in the next couple of months we will have the first groundbreaking events in the region so that people now really see so the visible results of our efforts, not only read and listen about conferences there and there, but also to see uh, clear and concrete results. So if I take things together, I think we are in general on a good path, but it also uh, demands um, cooperation amongst the players in the region. One has still the work on reconciliation, uh, but I count a lot on the younger generation uh, to overcome many of the problems of the past uh, because they haven't been part of it. So they, they can really go and approach each other and, uh, and therefore one of our key areas in, in, in the regional cooperation is this people-to-people uh, -people activity which is aiming uh, explicitly to young people, not only to students but also to apprentices and, and, and young entrepreneurs. Everybody should have the opportunity to travel around, to use the opportunities, uh, to use a market of uh, around 20 million people. And if this is possible, I'm, I'm deeply convinced that um, the region can make the necessary progress in the two important areas, um, economic situation and um, fundamentals. And this would also mean, so to say, a societal um, progress. Finally, I think the best um, judgment about our successful way is when um, guest workers from this region in other European countries will say, now the situation in my home country is much better, I, will move, I, I would like to move back. I think this is the best message we can, we can give to our um, other colleagues in other European uh, citizens. And then these people, our citizens, have the reassurance that uh, we have done our job. Once again, it will take some time, no doubt, but uh, important is to stay committed, to have a clear vision, and the vision is definitely the European perspective. What you just said, Commissioner, tempts me to raise the issue of the migrant uh, crisis and closing of frontiers, but I won't. I'm going to uh, open the floor. I'm going to, we don't have very much time, so we can take two or three questions, providing they're short questions, and um, elicit a short answer. So, can I see over there? Yep. Could we have a microphone here? And could I ask everybody to introduce themselves and to keep their question very short? Thank you, Mr. Merritt. My name is Lulzim Basha. I'm the chair of the Democratic Party, leader of the opposition in Albania. I was uh, told by the organizers I would have an opportunity to present very briefly my view, not only the view of the government. I'm not going to take more time than a question to, first of all, salute Commissioner Han and thank him for the great support that he's given to all of our countries on a very, very difficult and challenging path to European integration. I have three points that I want to make very briefly. Yes, it is true that we approved unanimously 
the justice reform. But Commissioner Hahn is being modest. We only did so after Commissioner Hahn and others weighed very heavily to determine a product that reflected European norms and values, which we as opposition we were seeking from the very beginning. And strangely, the government that should have been the proponent of the, the, the force for the reform was resisting, very much along the lines of what was said in the dinner last night. Leaders that refuse to give up power and, in fact, even in such a reform, see the opportunity to grab power instead of ceding to a basis of European identity, which is the separation of powers, a functioning judiciary. So this compromise was made possible because of European, direct European Union investment in the process. Without it, we would have, would have had no compromise on the justice reform. And that is a sad fact. Even sadder is the fact that in the last year, more than 100,000 Albanians have left the country. Most of that to Germany, Netherlands, and other European countries. A lot of them seeking political asylum. And this has become a huge problem in some countries. The number of Albanians seeking political asylum was higher than the number of Syrians. Why? The Commissioner said it. Because people see no perspective. Because we have built a system in Albania, and I believe at large and also in other parts of the Balkans, where the good, the best, do not get ahead. This is the paradox. The people my country needs the most are the ones who are fleeing the country. This is the paradox. Why? Because they cannot get ahead. Let me give you two examples. Two examples. They two can, very, very, brief. very, very This is short. my last point. Two examples. The country punishes the capable, the talented, the creatives. It doesn't give them the opportunity to move ahead. But if you are a former convict, you become offered drugs or for trafficking, you become a mayor, you become a member of parliament. We pass a law and the law is not implemented. Look at the current problem we have with drugs. 50% of our GDP, according to BBC World Service on Thursday, is comprised of narcotics which means if you're an honest farmer, you do not get ahead. You are forced to grow cannabis. And by now, that is a political problem. My last point is this. Rule of law and democracy are non-negotiable. We are fighting this fight for the implementation of the law on decriminalization to speak loudly about the drug problem, which is not a drug problem, but it's a political problem in my country now. But we are attacked. So is the media, national and international. And even when members of parliament from friendly countries, countries that have spent billions on my countries, democracy and rule of law, come and speak about it, they are attacked. Refusing to acknowledge this problem is not helping the problem. That's why we need the support of everyone. First of all, to acknowledge the problems and to fight them together. Having said that, I full-heartedly support the recommendation of the Commission. As leader of the opposition, I have spent today and yesterday in Essen asking from our friends in the European People's Party to pass a, a positive, uh, a positive uh, uh, decision on the Council this, uh, this December, but we'll continue to need your help and your attention to deal with the tremendous problems our country is going through. Thank you very much indeed. Any questions? <laughs> Over there. Kurt Geisert, Association of German Mittelstand. Uh, Commissioner Hahn, uh, I could listen uh, two weeks ago to Vice President Katainen he was satisfied with the start of the Juncker plan, uh, not so much for uh, the new member states with the exception of Slovenia. Are you afraid that something similar can happen for the six uh, states of the Western Balkan once they will be able to profit from the, from the Juncker plan? Thank you. Why don't we take a couple more questions and group them up? Yeah, over there. 
good afternoon, Jana Repanšak, Center of Excellence in Finance, based in Slovenia. Uh, Commissioner Han, you mentioned brain drain and the need to address it. How specifically uh, you see that this can be addressed? My institution is focusing on capacity development of finance ministries, line ministries and central banks in Southeast Europe. And what we see is that they have low, lower capacity than they could have because of the drain of brain, first to the private sector and then abroad. But how specifically can this be addressed? Thank you very much. I'll take one more over there, yeah. Um, thank you. Alba Broika from College of Europe, International Relations and Diplomacy of EU Programme. Well, I have a question regarding uh, the integration process. And uh, as you uh, clearly made the point that uh, Europe is trying to transpose all these norms and values like rule of law and uh, justice and good governance to the Western Balkans. However, I see a gap between the assistance or advisory or reform in the economic sector related to the normative power Europe. Because to my understanding, EU is neglecting this sector and as long as we don't have a strong economic sector, we cannot have the implementation of all these norms and rules from the European Union. Thank you. Thank you very much. Any more questions? Yeah, we'll take that one. Hello, I'm Lolita, also from the College of Europe. Well, as you said, uh, Commissioner Han, that the, uh, the clear vision of these enlargement countries is the European perspective. My country's perspective is, uh, my country's perspective is the European perspective. I'm coming from Macedonia. And I would like to raise the issue about the young perspective uh, the perspective of young people in this enlargement process. As you said, it's a process, but how, uh, how can you, we, we want our voice to be heard. And can we rely on the European Commission and uh, precisely on this enlargement process? Because if we are talking about rule of law and equality, I think that we also, the young people from the Balkans, we deserve to be equal and to have equal opportunities as our European Union fellow students, friends, because uh, European Union is very important for us, for the young people from the Balkans. Thank okay, you. thanks very much. One last one over there, yeah. Thank you, Valbona Zefi from EU Policy Hub Albania, and we are a forum of 36 uh, uh, young professionals who went back to Albania to monitor and influence positively the European integration process. Within this um, um, aspect, I would like to ask Mr. Han, how do you see um, the role of civil society into the European integration process of the whole uh, Balkan, Western Balkan countries? Thank you. There, Commissioner, a set of huge questions to which I will add one more, which is very short. Last night at the pre-conference dinner for speakers, one of the speakers said, what we're getting from the European Union is about 3% of our needs. I pointed out the money isn't growing on trees in Brussels these days. But what's your view on that shortfall, that enormous shortfall? Are we looking at a Western Balkans economy that is going to find it almost impossible to climb out of the hole that it finds itself in? 
Well, thank you for <clears throat> all your questions, and I think uh, they have a lot uh, in common, and it's about uh, the economy. And um, um, also, when when having been asked how we can um, we can uh, so to say fight against brain drain and things like that. I can tell you when I came into office as a commissioner for regional policy in 2010, uh, I was confronted with two phenomena. Number one was at that time we had already from the previous multi-annual financial um, um, agreement a budget line for energy efficiency, renewable energy, and uh, this money was not used. And I had to travel around in Europe, but also neighboring countries, Eastern Europe, to, to promote uh, the idea of energy efficiency, to make clear what it means. And in a way related to it, I remember very well preparing my first hearing, etc., uh, in the European Parliament, the colleagues from the, I call it, newer member states, across all the different parties, they were rather focused on roads, maybe railways. When I was talking about uh, pushing the economy, investing in research, this was uh, not an easy. They, they always said, first we need roads. Yeah? I said, well, it's good to have roads, but uh, you need also to have uh, trucks uh, which can use it, no? uh, trucks which are uh, transporting uh, goods, etc. So, and after five years, I think we have made significant progress. The mindset in these countries has changed. Um, I introduced in the already mentioned reform of the um, regional policy, there was, there's one area where we um, introduced an obligatory minimum, uh, uh, so to say, uh, budget uh, share. And this, is, this was or is 20% of the overall budget has to be used for renewable energy, energy efficiency measures. And may I say, when we received proposals from member states, how they would like to use the structural funds in order to push the regional development, already due to the proposals, the share of money which should be invested in renewable, in uh, energy efficiency measures like this, was 38%. So it was not any longer a discussion to push them to achieve this 20% goal, but on their own, they already um, reached 38. And this is what I mean with um, a combination of patience and uh, passionate. Uh, you need both. You have to have clear goals, and you have to be determined to it, and then I think you can reach the goals. Uh, but it takes a lot of communication, a lot of uh, discussions, uh, uh, conviction work, etc. Uh, and um, if we improve, uh, so to say, in general, the economic situation, this has an immediate impact also on um, research, on innovation, we have, for instance, in the last couple of years in the region invested in startup facilities, in incubators, in technology parks, uh, where a lot of uh, young people, and not only young people, but mostly young people, have founded their own companies. Very often spin-offs of universities. 
So there is potential. And uh, it's important simply to give first um, advice, to give some offer, of course also to provide money. But may I say <clears throat> very often it's not only the money. It's uh, more than that. Yeah? For instance, um, um, startups. Um, I, I have uh, in my previous life, uh, so say, I, I have a previous life as a businessman. And I know the first one or two years uh, of a company are the most risky ones. Um, if you survive after one or two years, it might go well. What is needed at the beginning is support assistance, uh, for instance, in marketing or in accounting, because very often people founding a company have uh, expertise on, on a particular issue, but they don't know anything about marketing or accounting. And here <coughs> you need help, you need support, you need, of course, also access to financing. Uh, <coughs> but these are areas where, of course, always some money is needed. But money is not always the only, and, uh, the only thing. It's about, so to say, the whole package which you have uh, to, to provide and to present. And then I think um, a lot uh, can be possible. And once again, if we push the economy, um, if we create a Balkan single market, I mean, honestly, it's, um, it's in a way a surprise and it's not a surprise. But uh, with the exemption of uh, Albania, all the other countries have been member of the former Yugoslavia. But apparently the first aim was to create as much as possible uh, many distinctions between each other uh, and to create formal and informal barriers, which we have now to crash down. I mean, none of these countries is a big market. Together, in European terms, it's an upper-medium-sized market. But in order to achieve this, we have to, so to say, <coughs> revert some of the measures of the recent past. Also, this is something which is not dealing with money. It's dealing with political will. And this is necessary. <coughs> and here we need definitely leadership in the country, in the region, but also on our side. It's, uh, as you said, uh, um, a joint effort. Uh, it's only achievable if we're all working together. Um, civil society, extremely important, uh, but I also have to say, in some of these countries, I have the feeling the civil society is eager to stay away from politics. Yeah. But, I mean, civil society is one part of politics. Uh, and it's about getting involved. I understand it's about credibility of certain civil society organizations. But on the other hand, I can only urge representatives from civil society to to candidate, to run for parliament. I think a good example is with all up and downs Ukraine, so to say, the Maidan movement. Many people from the Maidan movement, from civil society, have decided to candidate for the Rada. 
they are now there. It's not easy for them, uh, so to say, to keep their, let's say, moral and intellectual independency. But uh, I think they're making a strong contribution with all the problems. And this is something, I think there is still a lot of room for improvement in the region. I remember when I was first time together with Federica Mogherini in Bosnia-Herzegovina, we had a meeting with representatives from civil society. It was an excellent meeting. Young people, elder people, um, uh, women, men, um, different interests, different religions, crossover. And immediately afterwards, we had a meeting with the nine political uh, leaders of the country, all of them men, 50 plus. So it was like a parallel world. Uh, and I would say the first meeting was more mirroring the societal situation. But this is something um, where everybody has a certain responsibility. And uh, honestly, it's uh, not the task, or at least not the, the permanent task of the European Union, the European Commission, to play the missing link between the both. For a certain transition period, yes, of course. But finally, there should be, so to say, an inclusion uh, between the two. And it's about uh, policy shaping. Policy shaping can be achieved on, uh, on several ways. But finally, decisions are taken by the elected representatives in the parliament. And therefore, I can only urge all of you and all the others who are interested to move from policy shaping to policy decision-making to make this necessary uh, step. And honestly, I believe it's good for the country if, so to say, uh, the political uh, structure is a little bit uh, shaked up. And uh, it's not always easy. Sometimes it could be more comfortable to stay away as honorable members of civil society. But believe me, at the end of the day, it's important to get involved, to take uh, responsibility, and to see, and to see, may I say it as a, <clears throat> if I look into the audience, a little bit older men, having around 40 years of experience in politics, uh, it's not always easy uh, to get a majority. But it's an extremely valuable experience to see how difficult it is to get a majority, to gather people behind or around you. Uh, and this is something which is needed. Uh, it is quite nice to have one precise opinion, but many others have also one precise opinion, not um, automatically the same one. And finally, you have to find a compromise. And this is something which is extremely needed uh, into the region. Um, there was one, sorry, question uh, by the colleague from, um, uh, from Germany. Honestly, I, I don't see uh, concerning the use of the Juncker Fund. <clears throat> it's uh, definitely related to the performance of a national economy 
Uh, is the economy diversified, yes or no? In Northern and Western Europe, uh, economy is more diversified. That, therefore, it was much easier for them to use the offer. But as a consequence of, uh, so to say, this first round, we have <coughs> tried to change a little bit the rules of the game in order to support those who are more in need in order to achieve exactly what we need, diversification, and this means more jobs. Commissioner, you've answered every question that's been put to you. We're running into out of time. Um, so I'm going to thank you very, very much indeed for a really interesting... <clears throat>